Welcome to My Cousin Jane, a podcast about Jane Austen and her works, with your host, Lee Phelan. Welcome to My Cousin Jane. Today we're going to be talking about Persuasion, Volume 2, Chapter 8, sometimes called Chapter 20 by its friends. In this chapter, we're in the famous Bath Assembly Rooms, ready to listen to a concert, and we have some tense interactions between our love triangle, Anne Elliot, Captain Wentworth, and Mr. Elliot. Though, can it really be a love triangle if Anne is only interested in Captain Wentworth? I suppose that's a question for romance novel experts. Let's start today by listening to a clip courtesy of Karen Savage from LibriVox.org that sets the tone for the first part of this chapter. Sir Walter, his two daughters, and Mrs. Clay were the earliest of all their party at the rooms in the evening, and as Lady Dalrymple must be waited for, they took their station by one of the fires in the octagon room. But hardly were they so settled when the door opened again, and Captain Wentworth walked in alone. Anne was the nearest to him, and making yet a little advance, she instantly spoke. He was preparing only to bow and pass on, but her gentle, "'How do you do?' brought him out of the straight line to stand near her and make inquiries in return, in spite of the formidable father and sister in the background. Their being in the background was a support to Anne. She knew nothing of their looks, and felt equal to everything which she believed right to be done. What a great quote. She felt equal to everything which she believed right to be done. If only the world at large could feel that same resolve. The assembly rooms in Bath, sometimes called the upper assembly rooms to distinguish them from an older building in a different part of town, was the place to go for the upper class in Jane Austen's time. There were a couple of balls held each week there during the high season, along with various concerts, card parties, and a variety of other social events. Now the assembly rooms are still around today, and there are four main rooms to this building. The ballroom is an enormous high ceiling room that could hold between 800 and 1200 people. This room doesn't play a big part in persuasion, but it is mentioned in Northanger Abbey. The tea room, sometimes referred to as the concert room, was used both for serving refreshments during balls as well as for holding concerts. And this is where the concert in the novel takes place. Now, not to be confused with the Octagon Chapel we talked about last week, I'm not sure what it is about bath and octagons. But there was an octagon room, which connects the ballroom and the tea room to each other, as well as to a smaller card room. Technically, there are two octagon rooms, the small octagon and the great octagon. When you enter the assembly room buildings, you pass through this reception area into the smaller octagon room, and then you can pass through that room to the great octagon room. This room, the great octagon room, was meant as a waiting area and mingling space where you could Wait for your party, visit with friends outside of the crowded ballroom, play cards, or just pass through on your way to get some tea. Today, the smaller card room off of the octagon room serves as a cafe for visitors, and there's a fashion museum in the basement which mostly has uh, exhibits related to men's fashion over the years. If you watch the 1995 movie adaptation of Persuasion, you can see Anne speaking with Captain Wentworth in the small octagon room. And then uh, it transitions to them attending the concert in the tea room, also known as the concert room. But in the 2007 movie adaptation, once again we have Anne and her family waiting in the small octagon room, 
But then the concert is held in the greater octagon room for some reason. I can only assume this would be for cinematic aesthetic because it's not historically accurate. That's not where the concerts were. Now, another key feature of the assembly room are the crystal chandeliers, which, if you visit today, are the same crystal chandeliers that were commissioned for the building in the late 1700s. They were initially lit by candles, then later fitted for gas lighting, and then finally electric lighting. The chandeliers were constructed by White Friars Glassworks of London, a pretty famous glass shop which was owned by James Powell and Sons. And James Powell is a relative of Sir Baden Powell, who was the founder of the Boy Scouts. Now, after the outbreak of World War II, the chandeliers were taken down and put into storage for safety, and that's fortunate because the assembly room building was bombed during the war, causing extensive damage. And repairs to the building didn't start until 1956 and weren't completed until 1963. But the chandeliers were put back, and they are still hanging there today, the originals from the late 1700s. Most of them original to when the building was built. A couple of them, uh, when the building was first built, were put up by, they were created by a different glassmaker, but they fell, almost hitting one of the designers of the building. And so all of the chandeliers were commissioned to be built by the White Friars Glassworks of London. Now, let's take a minute to listen to a brief description of the concert itself. The party was divided and disposed of on two contiguous benches. Anne was among those on the foremost, and Mr. Elliot had maneuvered so well, with the assistance of his friend Colonel Wallace, as to have a seat by her. Miss Elliot, surrounded by her cousins, and the principal object of Colonel Wallace's gallantry, was quite contented. Anne's mind was in a most favourable state for the entertainment of the evening. It was just occupation enough. She had feelings for the tender, spirits for the gay, attention for the scientific, and patience for the wearisome, and had never liked a concert better, at least during the first act. Towards the close of it, in the interval succeeding an Italian song, she explained the words of the song to Mr. Elliot. They had a concert bill between them. Now, there were lots of different styles of concerts in the Regency era, uh, ranging from the purely musical to what we might today call a variety show. From Anne's description of the varying feelings and emotions she needs throughout the show, I'm inclined to think that this trended more towards the variety show format, particularly with her comment about needing, quote, attention for the scientific. Scientific displays were often present at such shows, such as the famous glass harmonica display that Benjamin Franklin records as having witnessed at a concert in 1761. He then went on to try to create his own version of the glass harmonica by doing some different arrangements of the glasses that he thought would make it uh, more pleasing. Regardless of what was or was not at the concert, though, there are two phrases that Austin uses in this chapter that I want to talk about. The first is Sir Walter's dismissive description of Captain Wentworth as a, quote, bowing acquaintance. As you can probably infer, this term means a slight acquaintance, one who you wouldn't know well enough to necessarily want to speak to, but would know well enough that you would bow to them if you saw them out of respect. In our day, men in particular still experience this phenomenon, though with more of a head nod than a bow. It's pretty common for men to nod casually to their bowing acquaintances when they pass them in the hallway or see them in public or at a store, and they don't really want to say anything but you don't want to pretend like you just didn't see him, so you just kind of give a head nod, and that's still done quite a bit today. The final thing I want to talk about in this chapter is when Anne maneuvers the seating arrangements following an intermission 
to sit at the end of her bench in order to try and have a chance to speak to Captain Wentworth. In resettling themselves, there were now many changes, the result of which was favourable for her. Colonel Wallace declined sitting down again, and Mr. Elliot was invited by Elizabeth and Miss Cartwright, in a manner not to be refused, to sit between them, and by some other removals, and a little scheming of her own, Anne was enabled to place herself much nearer the end of the bench than she had been before, much more within reach of a passer-by. She could not do so without comparing herself with Miss Larolle, the inimitable Miss Larolle, but still she did it, and not with much happier effect, though by what seemed prosperity in the shape of an early abdication in her next neighbours, she found herself at the very end of the bench before the concert closed. Now, the Miss Larolle comment is a reference to the novel Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney, who was a contemporary of Jane Austen, and she was one of Jane Austen's favorite novelists. Many people believe that the title for Pride and Prejudice came from a famous speech in this novel, where a man named Dr. Lester says, quote, If to pride and prejudice you owe your miseries, so wonderfully is good and evil balance that to pride and prejudice you will also owe their termination. Miss Larolle was a character in the novel, given to a fair amount of hyperbole and frivolity, and in one scene she arranges the seating in a concert so that she's at the end of the row so that she can talk to one Mr. Meadows that she's interested in. And if you like Jane Austen, many critics cite Frances Burney as one of Austen's greatest influences, and the two women did have quite a bit in common both in life and writing style, though there are some pretty big differences. So it might be worth looking into her books if you're interested in this type of writing. Well, that wraps up our discussion of Persuasion Volume 2, Chapter 8, a.k.a. Chapter 20. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to help support the show, please head over to leefalencom slash mycousinjane, sign up for our newsletter, or click on the little donate button. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.